Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and World of Warcraft and other games at some point. We haven't gotten there yet. We will one day, I swear. I promise. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and definitely not a liar. We will make it to other, other material at some point. But I've got two co-hosts with me today, and we're going to talk about World of Warcraft. Um, first up, of course, we've got Matt Rossi, our other lore-focused writer. Hey, Rossi. Hey. Uh, hi, everybody. It's It's been a week, so... Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, not, not to, I'm not going to dwell on that, but yeah, it's it's definitely been a week. Okay. <laughs> And then, of course, our other co-host is Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello there, everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Nick. Anyway. Uh, oh, man, I should change my name to Dr. Loader. No, you awesome. shouldn't. <laughs> so this week we're going to um, kind of kick back a little bit. And because, well, we've got the Warcraft movie. It's coming out in June, correct? June? Is it June? It is I think June, it's, yes. It's like a little early in in England. I think it's like like late May in England and June in America. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but okay. All right, international audience, I guess they're going to see how it how it tests over there or plays just, over there. I find myself wondering if it's just cuz so Duncan Jones can be in England when it <laughs> you know, what I mean, he's, Maybe. he is English. Maybe. I'm pretty so. sure, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that would make sense. Anyway, since the Warcraft movie is coming out, the Warcraft movie, obviously, it covers the events of the First War. And um, it's a slightly different telling of the First War because this is it's kind of um, the way we always describe it. We describe it as like the difference between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Comic Universe. Those are two very different things. And unless you're Deadpool, it doesn't really cross that much. And they're two different stories. (laughs) But Deadpool is so irreverent. I haven't seen the movie yet. I really want to see the movie. But from what I've heard, it's very faithful to its source. Um, So the Warcraft film is coming out. It's going to retell the story of the First War a little bit. We've kind of gotten the impression from the trailer that, yes, it is going to be a different take on this film. But we figured we'd go ahead and talk about the First War in general on Lorewatch and give people an idea of just what was going on at the time. And I don't think that we necessarily need to go into, oh, hey, the orcs were corrupted and all of that, because everybody's pretty familiar with that, particularly after playing Warlords of Draenor. Mm -hmm. But... The impetus for the first war beginning, that's probably where we should start. And that, of course, that ties in with Medivh. So, Rossi, Joe, either one of you want to jump in? I'll I'll do so. Um, Basically, what you have is there's a lot of backstory involved in why Medivh did what he did. But the uh, guardian, Medivh, who at the time lived in Deadwind Pass in in a tower called Karazhan, had made contact with Gul'dan after Gul'dan had basically found out that the Legion isn't really a good boss. And that after you've done their, their bidding, uh, tricked your people into demonic servitude, wiped out the Draenei effectively, 
uh, they just leave you twisting in the wind with the consequences of your actions. Basically, which... what happened was they got the demonic blood. They went all bloodlust and everything, wiped out Chatra City, and then nothing. Yeah, the, the Legion literally stopped answering their phone calls. Yep. Now, this could possibly be because the Legion was busy. I mean, they, it, it's a large, large organization, but it's a big universe, lots of things to invade. Wait, does this, does this count as the Legion avoiding them for conquest and chill? Essentially, yeah, they they weren't yeah. down for the they weren't down for the consequences of chill. Let's put it that way. But um, basically, the, this wouldn't be so bad except that the problem with drinking demon blood and having a b- bunch of warlocks running around is warlock magic is inherently corruptive and destructive. Just having a warlock around kills things around you, and the more warlocks you have, the worse it is. Each warlock is essentially a walking toxic waste dump. They poison the land. They corrupt the earth. Uh, if you have enough of them, the place becomes unlivable. And they had a lot of them. So Draenor was effectively dying because it, it was losing the ability to sustain life. The only place that really was was getting away from this was Nagrand because there weren't any, like, the, the new horde, the horde was staying away from Nagrand because of the red pox, which was a disease that was, you know, spread through it. Nagrand was basically turned into a big, you know, sickness colony yeah Yeah. like don't go here you don't want to get this which might have been for all i know that's draenor's attempt to save itself you know by creating this thing at least they won't come here but this left Gul'dan with the problem of he couldn't feed his army of of demon blood drinking orc maniacs and as they They wanted conquest and there was nothing to conquest yeah and they want they wanted more importantly food and there yeah. was nothing to eat. Like things were dying and they couldn't feed the amount of people they had. And it was getting bad. And Gul'dan knew eventually people were going to look to him. Like, sure, he'd put Blackhand in as a puppet leader, like a, the puppet, you know, war chief of the Horde. But eventually people were going to figure out Blackhand isn't smart enough to have done all this. And it's only a matter of time before somebody start points out the warlock standing in the corner. Yeah, and, and says, wait a minute, what about that guy? <laughs> Gul'dan's really good at convincing people to do things because, like, you know, he, he's good at being oily and talking people into doing bad things, he's but he's also, not liked. He's also really good, though, about being the last one standing, and I think that's probably yeah. a really important thing. Like, he knows that they're going to be looking for him because even if everything else goes to goes to, to hell in a handbasket, he's probably still going to be alive. Yeah. So he, he basically at this point when he and Medivh contacted each other, he was trying to find a way to you know give the orcs something to conquer. And Medivh is like, oh, well, it just so happens I happen to be standing on a planet full of things to conquer. Maybe we can wor- work something out. And uh, this is where the impetus of the Dark Portal came from. Now, the Dark Portal was entirely from Medivh. It was Medivh's plan to build it. Gul'dan didn't know how to build a portal like that. It's not like they taught that in shaman school, which is where he originally got his mm-hmm. training. And it's not like Kil'jaeden wanted him to get off of Draenor. If Kil'jaeden had a further plan for the orcs, he had not shared it. And he certainly didn't want them leaving Draenor. Because they were maniacs. You know, we, we, we they were kind, kind of, of... They were kind of like a, a test run. I believe... I believe how it was framed anyway was that the orcs were kind of like they were being recruited into the burning legions ranks and then once you know they had been successfully corrupted it was like oh yeah okay these guys are pretty beefy and strong well we'll just save them for later and then they wandered off to find some more people to add to the collective army so there wasn't really any plans per se for them yeah and and they were basically more of a pet project for manoroth than anything else yeah kind of Manoroth found felt personally attached to them because they drunk his blood. It was he who corrupted them. Uh, granted, it was Kil'jaeden's plan, and it was Gul'dan who actually talked them into doing it, but Manoroth felt, like, not protective because he's a demon lord, but he felt like this was that it reflected on him what they did. It, it, so, wasn't a, it wasn't a case of, these are my babies or anything like that, because that would just be weird. But yeah, It was more like, yo, this is my blood, what they do. That, that's a reflection of how powerful and good I am at what I do. So if they screw up, then I look bad. They were his guild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, that's a, that puts this into a perspective that I didn't oh, like. Man, I uh, have a mental image of, of him sitting there talking to these works and assigning his charter. <laughs> <laughs> look, they I'll were give his you, raid team. He had I'll a, you know. Look, I will give you a chalice of blood if you sign my charter. It's, it's a really nice chalice. You don't get to Blood's keep the chalice. Real tasty. 
<laughs> you don't get to keep the chalice though. <laughs> I need that back. Uh, you know, so basically after they, you know, they'd made their little pact, uh, Medivh, because I'm just going to tell, say it, you know, I know it's a spoiler, but whatever. Uh, Medivh was possessed by Sargeras, the actual head of the Burning Legion, kill Jaden's boss. Oh, and Rossi, if nobody knows this by now. I know. Yeah. So far, this is so far beyond spoiler point. Yeah. Uh, so when he contacted Medivh, he, he, he was in Medivh. He'd possessed Medivh as part of his long range plan. When he contacted Gul'dan, he did so basically he's co-opting his subordinates program for his own ends. Um, but he's the boss, take, so he gets to take, do that, right? Yeah. We should probably take two seconds, though, just for, if, if for some reason you guys don't know how Medivh wound up getting possessed, this all goes back to when uh, Aegwin defeated the Avatar of Sargeras, and he decided to go hide away inside of her in the power of the uh, the Guardian of Trisfall, and then she was just started going slightly crazy, and then all of a sudden it was, Medivh popped out, and Medivh was, oh, look, I am now this human hybrid guardian slash blend with Sargeras. That's the TLDR yeah. version. It, it's more complicated, but that doesn't really, it doesn't matter all that much for the first war, how he got there. The fact is he was there. Sure. Uh, they, they set up the portal. Uh, it took a while. I believe it took like five years, but I don't remember the exact amount of time it took to build the thing because, you know, they, they'd killed off most of the Draenei, so they couldn't use them as slave labor. So they had to labor themselves. And it's kind of hard to get a bunch of demonically warped de- orcs to do things. They're hard to motivate. But in time, they got the portal built. Me want kill. How about you build this thing? No, me want kill. Okay, kill this rock by placing it on the other rock. Look, I, I need yeah? at least, I, I need <laughs> 10 of you to kill these rocks by hitting them with hammers so they fall out of the ground. Then I need 100 of you to carry the rocks over there. We going to smash with rocks? Uh, yeah, sure. Just sure, sure. That. That's what's going to happen here. <laughs> but so... This is this is basically he got the, the portal built. The orcs stepped through. If, you, if you've ever run Black Morass, the the Burning Crusade dungeon, when you've got Medivh, you know, going Gul'dan, get your warlocks to do stuff. You know that part. Um, Ready your legions. And, that was that was the moment. Yeah, that's when they stepped through. And they the thing is, it's funny is they came through. They thought we're in a swamp and thought this is the greatest. Look at all the life here. It's not like our dying planet back home. And immediately boogied back through to tell Gul'dan, you know, hey, yeah, we can go through. Um, so that's that place was the, the was called the Black Morass. It was a back back in the day, the what we now call the Swamp of Sorrows took up the entirety of both what it is now and what it was now the Blasted Lands. It all looked like that. It was it all was, swampland. It was one giant bog uh, essentially, and it was the reason it was such a giant bog was that it, it bordered on the 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 jungles of of Stranglethorn, which is where the trolls lived. It was essentially the the delta of all the places that fed down into it. And when when they came through, the orcs were like, "This is great." Um, they immediately began murdering like you know isolated human like farmsteads on the way. They were like, you know, because it's like today where you have people who live in a bayou. They, you know, hunt and fish and grow what they can. Those people found themselves getting slaughtered. And word got back to the kingdom of Stormwind. But this was like, this was the way out there. This was not, this, these were people that like maybe saw uh, someone from Stormwind once every 10 years. This was not a, a, like an, iso- this was an incredibly isolated part of the kingdom. So at first the kingdom had no idea what people were talking about. They're like, gr- green people? I, I, do you mean trolls? Trolls are usually kind of a blue color, I think. You don't mean trolls. Wh- who are you talking about? So it took a while. And, of course, the king, Lane Rin, went to his trusted childhood friend, Medivh, and said, do you know anything about green people coming through, like, the, into the swamps from somewhere? No, that doesn't make any sense. Never heard anything like that. Could, could you look into it? I mean, you're my trusted mage friend. Yeah, I'll totally look into it. If I hear anything, I will be certain to act on it. I will totally <laughs> let you know. And so, uh, why are you sat- winking at me while you're saying that? Oh, sorry, nervous tick. Uh, so, having satisfied himself that you know things were under control, Lane went you know back. Actually, at the time, Lane was only a prince. His father was actually king at the time, uh, and he went and said, "Look, I've I've got top men looking into this, and they haven't heard anything about about green people." He goes, "That's interesting because um, there there are green people currently attacking uh, Red Ridge." That's really strange because I asked him, well, you know, we don't know anything about it. And soon it, it became apparent that, yes, there were green people attacking, that there were a lot of them. They were riding wolves and in general, they were huge pains in the butt. 
Uh, in addition, the, the the horde was coming through in in pretty big numbers because, as we pointed out, Draenor was not sustainable. So they were real serious about taking over like Azeroth. This this was this was a it was kind of a do or die thing. Even if you were one of the Orcish clans that weren't particularly down Gul'dan's program, which at this point there were a few. Most of them would still drunk the blood and they were still kind of crazy, but they were. There were some who were like, ah, Gul'dan seems like a jerk, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's just a jerk. I don't like him. But, I mean, we we do got to conquer that other planet, though. Oh, yeah, we totally do. Even the Frost Wolves went along. And keep in mind, the Frost Wolves were like the one orc clan that had not drunk the blood because their chieftain forbid it. Um, Blackhand hadn't drank the blood either, but he he basically kind of pulled a, I, I'm not worthy if you're going to drink it. I mean, you chieftain, you, this honor belongs to you sort of thing. And, you know, Blackhand being a dullard was like, you're right. I do deserve all the blood. Thanks. But Gul'dan not being a dullard was like, all right, I got my eye on you, pal. You're not down with the program. But the Frostwolves just flat out refused. They were like, no, we're not drinking it. But yeah, this planet's boned. We got to get off. So we'll, so, you know, yeah. go with you. But yeah, And they basically made life tough for Gul'dan as long as they could. But he soon dealt with them by basically exiling them. That didn't, however, change the fact that during the first war, the orcs were gung-ho to, to push their way through and they, they had one problem they were losing like as soon as the kingdom of stormwind got its act together the brotherhood of the horse stepped up and horses were something that they'd never seen before now they had big wolves wolves are hard to ride they, they're aggressive that they, they require a lot of you know maintenance and they need meat um horses eat fodder and horses are big and horses just do what you tell them this was a complete shock to them. They'd never seen this. They'd never really seen anything like horse armor. They'd never seen mounted cavalry tactics. They were harassers. Like, the, the wolf riders are a harasser force. They ride in, harry you, and ride off. They don't charge you. This this is not the way the, – the, the orcs were completely thrown by this. They're like, what do we – these guys, we, we go in to harass them, and they form ranks and attack us back. This isn't an angry mob. Oh. The way the orcs are used to fighting is it's angry mob versus angry mob, not angry mob versus really organized and well put together militia. Yeah, and the Draenei, when they fought the Draenei, the Draenei had like magical superiority over the orcs for a long time. But when they lost that, they, they were basically not set up to fight because they'd always had to retreat. They'd always like been faced with such overwhelming force that they'd, their, they'd, their option had always been, okay, we've resisted as hard as we can. Now we have to pull out. The orcs caught them in a situation where they couldn't pull out. The humans that never had that attitude. Humans don't pull out unless they, you know, if they have to, but they only pull out so they can fight again. They don't pull out to retreat. Well, it's not only that too, but it's also another thing where the name of the the war host for for the orcs at the point they're the horde. They were just essentially, like you said, an angry freaking mob. And when you have an angry mob and you're stronger, sure that that makes a whole lot of sense that they're going to win. But the humans were a kingdom. Of of warriors that were used to tactics and receiving orders and having those open lines of communication all the way down, and that's like that's another distinction that I think needs to be made is because you have the, these two differences in mentality, right? Orcs, for lack of a better term, at this time, the strongest were the chieftains. They they kept everybody in line, but they were all each individual chieftains. Yes, there was a a war master, but essentially that that war chief, that war master, was just one of many clan leads at the time and Plus he was a puppet he was a puppet too so he wasn't really like he wasn't in control in control so not only was he not really selected by any like a council of chiefs that are like oh yes we we bow to your superior tactics and knowledge whereas the humans were like okay yeah well the king the king is you know delineating down he has generals the generals are have their their lieutenants and their sergeants and well, plus, you know, there's, there's two things regiments. that need to be pointed out. Yeah, there's also two things that need to be pointed out at this time. Blackhand was such a disorganized war chief that his own daughter rebelled against him. Yes, she um, ran away. <laughs> her, her daughter's name was Giselda, and she basically ran off to the dead mines with an ogre, which is like, yep. for an orc, this is the equivalent of finding out your boy, your daughter is dating, you know, like, an ogre. Like, it, it's like, what? An ogre? Like, the eight-foot-tall morons who, like, just poop on the ground? Yeah, yeah, she left with one of them. So they, he was mad right there. He was distracted. But it also proved that he didn't, like, the other war, the other orcish chieftains were like, well, he can't even control his own daughter. 
I'm supposed to follow this guy. And I know Gul'dan's behind this. I know Gul'dan's, they all knew Gul'dan was like secretly in charge. So they were like more staring at what Gul'dan was going to do than really paying attention to Blackhand. Plus, then, as we pointed out, they were losing the war because they were fighting Anduin Lothar. Um, Anduin Lothar was the last Arathor, he was called. He was the last blood descendant of Thoradin. Whether or not he was the last blood descendant of the Arathi people, that's probably not the case. Because the, the Igneus of, of, of Strom, Igneus Trollbane, his descendants were the ones who were currently ruling up in Strom, and they were definitely Arathor. I mean, there's no way around it. But He was the last descendant of that bloodline. He was the last descendant of Thoradin himself, and Thoradin was the guy who united humanity. Before Thoradin, humanity was a group of warring tribes that had no unity, had no leadership. And yeah, I feel like I'm talking about the orcs again, but I'm not. Um, humanity basically was Azeroth's version of orcs in a way. Yep. And that they a little were bit, yeah. Aggressive, warlike, um, sh- fairly you know short-lived, um, often surrounded by races that were more powerful individually. But humans managed to overcome it with group tactics and a willingness to do things other people just weren't. Like, high elves just aren't going to make a cavalry charge against a bunch of trolls. They're like, we could get hurt doing that. Whereas humans are like, yeah, but we're going to hurt them more. So let's let's move it forward a little bit here and talk about, obviously, during this point, uh, Lane Wren, his father died. And he, uh, he, took a, he took the throne at, I think he was 20 when he took the throne. He certainly wasn't much older if he was. Yeah, he wasn't much older than that. And um, he he was left with this problem to deal with of these orc attacks. Keep in mind that the first war, unlike, you know, World of Warcraft expansions, they're typically known for it's like, oh, this is a year's worth of time. This this exp- this entire expansion took place over the course of a year in game time in, mm-hmm. in canon time. The first war stretched on for years. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. it, it it was a lot longer period of time. Um so let's talk about Lane's rule in particular and this guy that people might be a little bit familiar with named Cadgar, because mm-hmm. he comes into the picture during this, too. Yeah. Um, but you want to talk about it or want me to? Um, you can or that. Joe can if Joe, Joe wants to. No, no. Keep going, man. All right. Well, Cadgar, the, the whole the thing is, is that Medivh was kind of like at the same time he was plotting and doing evil stuff. There was a part of Medivh that wasn't entirely on board with what was going on. Like, he, he knew, he was like, why am I doing this? It's almost like I'm possessed by an evil demon. But anyway, uh, so he basically started acting very strangely. The the, the Council of Terrasfall and the, the um, oh, God, I can't think of the name of the people who run Dalaran. The Kieran Tor. Kieran Tor, thank you. Um, that was a problem there. Uh, <laughs> they, were, they were both pretty concerned because whether or not they'd appointed him, Medivh was the guardian. You, you don't. When he's acting weird, especially when, like, they keep hearing rumors about these weird monsters who are coming through some kind of, like, you know, they're coming up out of the swamp, they were concerned. So they basically came up with a subterfuge to appoint him a, a, a an apprentice, which is, you know, cute. And and the fun part is, like, they'd appointed him a lot of apprentices over yeah. the period of time because Medivh... Medivh wasn't chosen by the Kirin Tor. He wasn't chosen by the Council of Tirisfal. He was born because Aedwin said, I don't feel like passing my powers to somebody that you pick. I'm going to choose who the next guardian is, and I'm going to choose it by having a baby. And that baby is going to be the guardian. Bye. And yeah. drop the mic, walked out, right? So they didn't really have a whole lot of contact with Medivh to begin with. So they kept sending him apprentices in in an attempt to keep track of the guy to actually yeah. like get in touch with the guy and, and, and you know hey how you doing buddy um you know you know we're supposed to be friends and maybe you should let us know what you're doing exactly because we don't know and we should and and Medivh just you know ran through these apprentices they'd last like maybe a week and then they'd get terrified and they'd leave yeah he was basically it was basically a thing where it was everyone knew what was going on the council of the the Kieran Tor knew they weren't sending these people to actually learn anything the only people who didn't know were the apprentices they, no one bothered to tell them oh yeah we're sending you to the most powerful and secretive mage on the planet who may or may not be evil we don't know so yeah you you should just spy on them but but you know don't spy on them too hard because then just it might be, just be we discreet. don't make it obvious be discreet yeah. about it 
And yeah. yeah. But Cadgar, um, Cadgar is funny because there, there's a lot of interesting facts to like the, the dichotomy between Cadgar and Medivh. Medivh's name is, is like a, an old Thalassian word for secrets. Um, Cadgar's name is Dwarvish for, you know, basically honesty. For trust. You know, yeah, for trust. So the two of them, like, from the beginning, the two of them had a very odd relationship where Medivh at first, you know, he's like, oh, another one. But after a while, he's like, you're not like the others. There's there's a mind in there. You're actually pretty smart. I, I, I find you interesting. And Cadgar, for his point, managed to not break when confronted with Karazhan, the place where time doesn't work right, and the, the like, the you know, Medivh's manservant wears horse blinders to keep from going crazy. And who's the green lady? Why is she here? Isn't she one of the things that's invading the? You're talking to them. I like. like so there's... I like how um, Cadgar. When Cadgar first shows up, he first shows up. He meets up with Medivh, and Medivh doesn't automatically take him as an apprentice. Medivh says, "I need you to organize my library." And just like sends him to the library and Karazhan's library. If you've, if you've raided Karazhan, that library is huge. And Medivh basically told Cadgar, yeah, I need you to put this in order because it's a mess down there and I'll get in touch with you later. And, and just left Cadgar there yeah. <laughs> to do the cleaning basically. And Cadgar to his credit didn't like collapse under the pressure of, wow, there's so many dangerous magical tomes and things down here that could kill me plus you know the tower is warping time itself i'm just gonna stay put and i'm gonna organize these books because that's what he told me to do so i'm gonna do it and by the time he got done organizing that library medivh showed up and went wow and then actually took him on as an apprentice and that's yeah. he, Cadgar is the first person to actually like get through to Medivh and and gain that spot that he was sent to to get. And basically, as he stayed there, Cadgar started to understand. Okay, uh, while not the ogre I was being told he was, not not an actual ogre, just you know, he's not he's not what I thought he was. He's not the 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 monster out of legend, but he might actually be worse uh, in some ways. And he's doing something. And finally. He when he had when he finally understood what Medivh had done when he finally understood that it was Medivh who who'd helped create the dark portal that Medivh was the one who basically made it possible for the orcs to invade he was pretty torn about it like he didn't really know what to do uh, I think it was actually him and Garona together that came up with the idea of contacting yeah. the humans yeah by then and, he had been talking to Garona the two yeah. of them actually experienced a vision like. A, a, a dual vision because what happens in Karazhan is time gets a little bit wonky and one minute you're walking through a hallway and the next minute you're reliving some part of the past or future. You don't know which. Um, and both Cadgar and Garona witnessed Medivh calling the orcs through the dark portal. It was like, boom, boom, boom. There it is right there. There's the guy who's responsible. And yeah, they talked together and decided to go to king ren because i mean what else can you do at that point yeah and this is a problem because one of the things that that you, the reason that medieval was so trusted by by lane and by the stormwind royal family in general is because uh medieval was the son of nyla saran who was the court enchanter for stormwind he was a well-respected mage uh he wasn't in the karen tour but he was he was respected and you know admired throughout the kingdom of stormwind uh and as a result Medivh and Lane grew up together. And not only did that, they also grew up with uh, with Anduin, Lo Anduin Lothar. They were all um, buddies. Yeah. They, in fact, a lot of – in their teen years before things had happened, they'd gone on adventures together. Like that's one of the things they did together was go out and have adventures. We don't know exactly. And it exactly. was before Medivh even came into his powers or anything. It was yeah, when they was... were just kids. They were really just kids. Yeah. And so – after Medivh had, you know, gone into his, I, how long was he out? Like, like twenty years. It was a long years? time. Yeah. Medivh, Medivh basically went into a fit one day. Uh, I guess he blew up his dad. When he turned, I believe it was thirteen. When he turned thirteen, he came into his powers one night, and it, it was like this really kind of distressing thing that was happening. And he went to go find his dad to ask his dad for help. And as he was speaking to his father, all of a sudden everything kicked in and that backlash of magical power pretty much disintegrated his dad. Just yeah. boop. He's gone. 
And so, and then he went into a coma for 20 years. And when he woke up, he was no longer a 13 year old boy. He was a 33 year old man who had lost that entire period of time. Yeah. So, I mean, even if Medivh hadn't had a demon lord inside of his head, he probably wouldn't have been all that stable. But at any rate, he and since they were childhood friends, I mean, it was very hard for Lane to know what to do. I mean, he's like, do I? What are you telling me? You're telling me Medivh did all this? Medivh used to just throw rocks at the lake and it, he had terrible aim. You're telling me he... And finally, it was Lothar who said, all right, uh, your highness, he was my friend too, but he needs to die. So I'm going to go kill him now. Because that was Lothar. Was I'm going to go take care of the problem. Loth- Lothar was ever the pragmatic one. So um, he went, and along with... with uh, with uh, Khadgar and Garona, he went to the, and he brought soldiers, of course, because you don't go try and kill a, like the most powerful wizard on the planet with no backup. Um, they went to the tower, and it didn't go very well, uh, no. as you might expect. Medivh wasn't down with the being stabbed thing, and the funny thing is, is at that moment, the orcs were like still having trouble, and so um, Gul'dan was in contact with Medivh because Medivh had made him some promises. Medivh had promised him essential godhood. He told him that there was an entity called Sargeras on this planet, and on his, in his tomb was enough power for Gul'dan to effectively become a god. You which, help me. You bring the orcs to Azeroth. You build this little portal thing with me, and I will give you all the powers of a god. Yeah, and now he didn't tell him, of course, all the power in the tomb is much less than what I personally have because I am Sargeras, because, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. But he, he, he still, you know, Gul'dan knew, all right, I don't trust anybody, so I know that there's BS going on here, but if there's even the slightest chance I could become a god, I'm going to take this risk. So at that moment, they were kind of having a mental confab where Skuldan was like, you know, you promised me some things, and I haven't seen nothing. I mean, and, you know, Medivh would be like, we well, haven't conquered the humans. Like, you didn't say anything about conquering the humans. And for that matter, if you'd come through, I could have conquered the humans by myself by now. So what's going on? And so he was a little distracted when the the let's kill Medivh posse showed up. He he still put on quite a put up quite a fight. In the end, it was his apprentice and his best friend who killed him because Medivh stabbed him. I mean, not me. Sorry, Cadgar stabbed Medivh, and then uh, Lothar decapitated him. And that was for then the end of Medivh. For then. And the interesting part about that is just before, just before Cadgar stabbed him um now keep in mind that cadgar as an apprentice he was a young man he was a very young man um just before well he tried to attack medivh and medivh turned on him and basically aged cadgar magically aged him and drained all of his magic powers um to like he was basically this doddering old man essentially um and Cadgar somehow managed to pull the strength together to grab a sword and shove it through Medivh's chest, you know, apologizing as 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 was only polite. But well, yeah, yeah. And, and basically Lothar gave him that opportunity, right? Because Lo- yeah. Lothar Lothar was the distraction. Like he was engaging Medivh in combat while Cadgar gathered himself up and was like, "Oh shit, I can't cast spells. I probably should go do something." Oh wait, I've actually been trained how to use swords and stuff like that. Here happens to be a sword. Okay. Yeah, and it was basically the funny thing is is that by doing that, they changed the course of the war, but in a direction they couldn't possibly have anticipated because they intended this to be like, well, once he's gone, the portal will close and everything will be fine. That's not what happened. First off, the portal didn't close because the portal was being sustained by itself at this point. Um, and that that was something no one had understood. And but second, what, yeah. The worst part – do you want to go? You, you haven't talked. You sure, yeah. The second the, – the, the worst part, since Gul'dan was having a mental chat with Medivh at the moment of his death, Gul'dan himself was thrown into a coma just as like part of that mental backlash from – Oh, I'm talking to a guy. Oh, that guy just lost his head. He's no longer there. And Gul'dan was the one that was thrown into a coma. And of course, since Gul'dan is thrown into a coma, suddenly Blackhand doesn't have the Shadow Council at his back because they're wondering what happened to Gul'dan. Um, so and, while they're, yeah, while they were occupied, then you have Ogren who gets his opportunity to say, you know what, this Blackhand guy, I don't, I don't really dig what he's putting down, so I'm going to go ahead and just kind of take control. Yeah. Hey, you, I'm going to challenge you. Let's fight. Oh, your little warlock, he's, he's busy elsewhere. Let's go. Well, to be fair, he didn't bother to challenge him. He just, uh, he, he just, he, 
right went of in and just killed him. Yeah. yeah, it's there's a reason that the orcs called the Orgrim the the backstabber yeah. because he literally just was like, it, it's like I want you to imagine a tent full of orcs and. Someone's like, Gul'dan's in a coma, and Blackhand's like, what? Gul'dan's in a... He doesn't finish the sentence. Yeah, because because Blackhand... Orgrim just turns around and like, his what? <laughs> hits, <laughs> hits him in the back of the head with a giant hammer, and it's like, okay! I'm, I'm charged now! now. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, yeah, you're more chief All right, now. whoa, whoa, yeah, okay, you're in charge. Hands are up. Cool. <laughs> you you want to run the horde? All right, we'll let you. But yeah. there were some people who were still loyal to Blackhand. Um, the thing, the thing about Orgrim is, is he was very clever. He knew that that Gul'dan was kind of pulling the strings, and with Gul'dan out of the picture, that was his chance. So he took that chance. He killed Blackhand. He seized control of the Horde, and then he turned around and systematically wiped out the Shadow Council. Oh yeah, hunted them down. And the way he was able to do this was that he had Garona caught. Garona was captured. They tortured Garona until she revealed where the Shadow Council was hiding out at. And then she managed to escape. She got out of there. But uh, Orgrim just kind of went mechanically went around and said, oh, yeah, you're Shadow Shadow Council. You're dead. And and just pretty much wiped out. There was like maybe a handful of people left by the time he was done. And then Gul'dan. Gul'dan and Cholval, though. Right. And then Gul'dan woke up. But here's. Here's the deal, though. Since Orgrim had all of the control and all of the power and he wiped out the Shadow Council and he had the Horde, he said, okay, cool. You know what we're going to do? We're going to wipe out that city over there. Yeah. And the, the took the part, whole though, force to Stormwind. For me, the best part has always been basically when Gul'dan wakes up and the Shadow Council's all dead and there's Orgrim Doomhammer, who he's never trusted and who has never trusted him. And Doomhammer's like, okay. I've been trying to conquer that city while you were out, and it hasn't really gone like I wanted in that the city has not been conquered yet. And I, you know, I really think you might be involved in my friend's death. Now, here's my question, though, because the timeline's kind of fuzzy for me. But if I remember correctly, Gul'dan didn't wake up until after they'd finished conquering Stormwind, correct? Because they they brought him in for the whole second war effort, and that's when they brought in the Death Knights and everything. They weren't part of the first war. I thought that I, yeah, that was I, second war because I thought yeah. I thought Gul'dan made the arrangement, we'll call it, with with Orgrim, uh, in prep for the second war because I thought the whole thing with uh, the Shadow Council and Gul'dan happened after the first hmm. war. Well, no, the Gul'dan definitely went down during the first well, war. Well, he went down during the first war, but I don't think he came back until after the after, after Stormwind right. had been conquered because Orgrim pretty much took control. There weren't any Death Knights. During well, the first war, during the second war is when Gul'dan brought them in. Oh, you know what the problem is? We, we skipped ahead a little bit. That's what was confusing me. Gul'dan, Orgrim didn't kill the Shadow Council until after Stormwind fell. Right. Okay. Because that's how the Garona got captured after she did the thing she did that we have to talk about now. Okay. Because Garona got captured on her way back from Stormwind. Because here's the thing. Anne mentioned the visions that, that Khadgar and, Gul- and uh, Garona had seen. But she only really talked about the one that they shared. There's there was one, one that she had by herself, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you should talk about it. You should tell that one. Here's the thing about Garona. Garona's interesting. Garona was acting as kind of an ambassador between the orcs and the humans. And she her point of contact was Medivh, but through Medivh, she also got introduced to Lane Wren and Anwen Lothar, but mostly Lane Wren. Lane Wren was probably the one human being that she'd met, and possibly even the one creature that she had met who treated her from the very moment that he met her with the kind of respect that nobody else had. Cause Garona was, she was only half orc. She wasn't fully orc and everybody sort of assumed that she was half orc, half human. Even she did. Um, and it turned out later that she, no, she was half orc, half Draenei. It's just, she didn't know about that. She didn't learn about that until years and years later. So she's going in there under this, um, supposition that she's she's half orc half human well the orcs saw her and saw somebody who was very weak and kind of like you know a runt somebody who wasn't good enough to be an orc because obviously she was half of this other weakling race whatever that weakling race happened to be and the humans they saw the green skin and went that's a monster right 
Lane was the only one who treated her with any kind of respect. So she had like this almost friendship thing going on with King Lane. It wasn't it wasn't quite quite a we're best buddies or anything, but it was there was a certain amount of respect that she allowed Lane that she allowed nobody else. And in this vision in Karazhan, she saw herself walk up to Lane Wren, her friend, the only person, the only human who had ever treated her with with that kind of kindness and respect and stabbed him in the heart and then carved his heart out like right there in Stormwind's throne room. And the thing, the, the, the vision completely shocked her because number one, this was not something that she wanted to do. And if this was going to be her future, what was the point of living right now? This was not, this was like absolutely horrifying to her. The other thing is that she was under the control of the Shadow Council. And by under control, I mean, they had her conditioned to respect. They were, she was basically magically ensorcelled by them. If they gave her an order, she had to carry it out. And she kind of knew that. So during the first war here, they gave her the order. They pulled the trigger and they gave her the order. They said, okay, you're going to go kill Ren now. And she had no choice. She had to go to the throne room. And of course Lane was there because Lane trusted her. And of course there were no guards because Lane trusted her. There was nobody around because Lane trusted her. And she took that trust and basically stabbed him in the heart and then cut out his heart. And this was all right in front of She didn't realize it, but this was all right in front of his son, Varian, who was only like, what, five or six at the time? He was just a little boy. He was just a little boy. And... In flashbacks and future flashbacks and comics and things like that, Varian always notes that Garona was crying as she mm-hmm. did this. And he didn't understand why there were tears while she was doing this. It was because there was one part of her that knew exactly what she was doing and didn't want to be doing it. But she was being forced to carry it out. Yeah, and when she did that, that's the moment where Stormwind basically was like, as long as she it crumpled. As, as, yeah, as long as Lane was up. Uh, the, the kingdom wasn't going to fall. The, the knights were going to fight. They were going to keep holding on. But when when Lane died, Lothar basically is in a position where he has to think about preserving the line. The only the only the, the queen had died years previously. the The only person left to hold the line was was Varian, who was at this point was a very young child. I don't even think he was five. Because he's like, there's pictures of of the of Anduin carrying of, of Anduin Lothar carrying Varian out of there, and he's a bundle. Like he's he's easily yeah he's you know. no he's a young kid. He's definitely like five, six, seven somewhere in there because the pictures yeah. from the comics show yeah. him as a young boy, and he's but, definitely cognizant of what is going on. But he's not big. He's a small no. kid, and so basically Lothar is like, all right, I'm looking at this. I can try and make a last stand here. And we'll probably lose everybody. Or I can evacuate the city and the only people we're going to lose are the Brotherhood of the Horse. So he goes to the Brotherhood and says, look, this is the situation. I won't order you to do this, but I need a vanguard. I if there's need any hope to... of saving any of yeah. these people. Someone has to stay here and fight until we're out. And the Brotherhood basically to a man says, all right, we're your men. We'll do it. Get the people out of here. So the the last survivor of the Brotherhood of the Horse, the knightly order that had held the orcs off at this point for at least a decade, because the war is at least ten years. Um, keep, Varian was born during it. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know the war had been going on. The war had been going on into Lane's father's realm. It had started during his father's reign, and it had continued. The, he'd he'd become king during war, and he'd never seen peace in his entire reign. Uh, so the the Brotherhood forms up, and even even with all the advantages, even with with Lane dead. Even with people retreating, the orcs still find themselves unable to progress until they kill the Brotherhood. Uh, and that takes them quite a while. The Brotherhood hold them. By the time they get into Stormwind, everybody's gone. Uh, there was, I, I, I want to point her out because she's really cool, and I can't remember her exact name. But Mara, yeah, Lady Mara Fordragon, Bolvar's mother, uh, took charge of the actual evacuation while, while Anduin was like going forth and setting up the defense. She's the one – the reason that there's anybody left alive from Stormwind from that period is because of Mara Fordragon because she's the one that got them on the boats. She's the one that got them on, on the water. You know, She was the one who basically said, you know, all right, you go do what you have to do to buy us some time. I'm going to get everybody out of here. And Lothar couldn't stay. He couldn't stay no. and fight with the Brotherhood of the Horse because, quite frankly, he was – basically leading them all kind of like as regent by default 
Yeah. Varian wasn't old enough to take over. Nobody else was in charge of the kingdom. It was just him. He so was the he, only one, yeah. He yeah. was the only one with the proper heritage because while he wasn't a, the son of a king himself, he was the last of the Arathor bloodline. He was essentially the last descendant of the first king humanity ever had. So by definition, he was a royalty. He was royalty. So he kind of ushered everybody out and mm-hmm. hopped on the boat with Varian. And took care of Varian when Varian had nobody at that point. So yeah. he took care of Varian, took Varian under his wing, and they all fled to Lordaeron across the sea. Yeah. And in their absence, the orcs pretty much burnt down the entirety of the capital. They just yeah. ran it to the ground. And that's basically the end of the first war it's not a happy ending for humanity Um, it's really weird about the the end of the war too is because this is like the period between this and the actual march north the orcs do some crazy things like first thing they do um is they build boats yep because they and you know because they had boats back home and they knew what boats worked and they build boats because they're like no we're gonna go after them we're gonna go conquer everything but this is also when uh when an orgrim has to start consolidating his power because, like you pointed out, not everybody was, not everyone who was loyal to Blackhand was suddenly like, "Well, yay, Orgrim's our guy." They were all like, "He just mashed him in the face with a hammer when his back was turned." And I'm not following that guy. I'm going to challenge him to Magora, whatever it is we call it. I'm we going call- to follow yeah. Blackhand's sons, Rend and Mame, because yeah. they're actually the people who should be leading the horde. By, <laughs> I'm sorry. Rent and Mame. I know, right? <laughs> Could he have named them anything? Like, you know, other possible names. The best, I the best part is that there's like Rend and Mame, and then there's Griselda. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to name her Butcher, but her mother wouldn't let me. Her mother wouldn't let me. She put no, it down. You've already named our son stupid things. <laughs> so, you know, just to kind of like back off from this a little bit here. Obviously, you know, the first war, it was it was the Burning Legion behind the scenes because this was Sargeras. This was the leader of the Burning Legion that was kind of pulling the strings here. The last time the Burning Legion had made any kind of major attack against Azeroth was back during the War of the Ancients when Kalimdor was the only continent. And the end of that ended with Sargeras getting kind of punted back through that portal and... The, sh- the 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 sundering happened so all of these disparate continents kind of like came out of the whole thing and the night elves were very clearly on Kalimdor so my question is was Sargeras bringing the orcs through to conquer humanity was that part of a bigger like revenge plot against the night elves was the reason that he was carrying all this out on the eastern kingdoms was so that he could establish some kind of dominance before taking the fight to Kalimdor and kicking the night elves in the teeth see i don't know like part of that is weird to me too because there there are things stated throughout like the books and quotes and games and stuff like that that i partially think that his whole game the whole thing with that was trying to get a force that he could manipulate so that he could get his darn body back or his avatar form because i think and we've talked about it a little bit is even though he was inside of medivh i think there was always a and, and no matter how much havoc medivh wreaked right there was always a piece of of medivh that was still human that was still fighting against it there was still that moral compass inside that was like man you know i could just wipe out all of humanity if i snap my fingers wait a minute what am i thinking that's a horrible idea but Oh, wait a minute. I could just open up this magical portal. I like experimenting with magical things. This seems like a great idea. You know, it's almost seemed like a really subtle play to kind of get Sargeras into a, into a, a part where he could theoretically reclaim a physical form the that, problem would let with him that, though, that, that would let him like wage yeah. war and destroy. But he, I don't, I think it was like the first steps maybe of a revenge plot. Well, what I'm wondering is, cause I mean, the, the, the implication seems to be, I mean, when Agewen first went up against the avatar of Sargeras, she killed him without a second thought. It, it was just like, boom, it was over. Sure. So the implication always seemed to be that Sargeras meant that to happen so that he could inhabit Agewen. Well, so here, here's my thoughts on that, right? And you guys can agree with me or disagree with me. There are a couple things that, that I think are important here. One, Medivh tells Gul'dan about the tomb of Sargeras and that there's great power there. Gul'dan is pulling the strings at the time of the Horde. 
okay, well, now he kind of knows where this is. He knows that this is a great source of power. If anything should theoretically happen to Medivh, quote-unquote, there's a good chance that Gul'dan's going to go and unearth the tomb, right? During the time of Medivh's death, and I think this was partially planned by Sejuris, there's a moment where Kagdar stabs him and the the essence of Sargeras tries to separate from the body of Medivh. He tries to basically loose himself free, right? I think that was the plan all along, was that this whole thing was going to, you kill the Guardian so you don't have the opposition. You have this force that's going to do your dirty work of unearthing your, your physical form that, well, one, you're a little more comfortable with, and two... Uh, is here. It's physically on this material plane, which we know is a big deal for the Legion. They need a portal or they need something to inhabit in order to be here. And, and three, your current vessel is fighting you when you're trying to go against it. So you eliminate your biggest opposition, right? Because you kill the Guardian. You you basically loose that power back into the source that it came from, the fonts. It goes back to, to, to all the other, the other mages and, and basically back into the magic as a whole. So you don't have to worry about that. It's going to take them time to get another Guardian together because there's a war going on. There's a whole bunch of stuff to distract them. And your body is basically being uncovered at this point. You just kind of float around for a little bit and then go right back in. And So we know... basically wipe out the defense system by taking right. out the guardians altogether. Exactly. And so Then like, take it... out humanity because humanity is obviously pretty strong force by this point. Well, and let's not... And let's not... Sargeras is not a moron. He's, yeah. he's evil. He's a force of chaos and he's unwinding things and un unbinding things. But he's not dumb. And if he notices that the power of these human mages rivals that of, of anything that's happened in the past, that, that you know, he's had run-ins with the, the High Elves. He's had run-ins with the spiritual defenders, these avatars of, of nature and spirit of Azeroth itself. He's had oh, interactions well, with actually, these at some No, point, he hasn't. Right? He hasn't actually. Or not indirectly, he, right? He, his people have. The interesting right. thing about Sargeras is... He wasn't even physically able to come through during the War of the Ancients. No. Like his his true knows. form wasn't able to come through because mm -hmm. um one orc hurt him. Brock Cigar. Yeah. So <laughs> because that happened, that's there's some suspicion that that's why the Legion picked orcs to do their dirty work instead of just trying to like kill the Draenei directly. But usually in the past when the Legion found the Draenei, they hit them and then the Draenei would would run away. They, they went with a different tact, in part because it never worked, but also in part because Kil'jaeden would have recognized the orcs. Sure. Because Broxigar would have been something they all knew about, because he hurt Sargeras. And Kil'jaeden might have been thinking, even back then, you know, I'd really like to get rid of Sargeras, so I was in charge of the Legion. You know, if we want to take it one step further, though... Isn't it kind of interesting that the whole reason that they knew about the orcs to begin with is because Nosdormu sent Proxigar and Cadgar and from the future yeah. back in time? Yeah, it it's is like actually... that's, that. There's that weird circle thing going on. I actually have always found myself wondering if that was in fact part of Nosdormu's strategy in the first place. If he wanted, because yeah. I, I keep saying it, Azeroth is the worst planet for the Legion. Yes. Every time they come here, it doesn't go well for them. Every plan they have that involves Azeroth ends up... Sarge this entire plan that Sargeras had, if his plan was to get liberated from his body, the problem is, is when he gets liberated from his body, he gets he gets sent right back to the nether. He doesn't have the ability to possess his body again once Medivh is dead. And I don't think that his goal was to get separated from Medivh and cast into the nether. I think his goal, if it was anything, if his goal was to get Medivh killed, then he had a body oh. lined up already, and that body was Gul'dan. Maybe, but I mean, the other side of that coin, though, is we don't know what happens if... Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the thing that we don't know, right? So we know if a demon is killed or banished or whatever, it goes back to the Twisting Nether. We assume that no, this no, happens. This thing, here's the thing, though. That's not... That's the case with demons. Well, but Sargeras uh, transcends demons. I was, I was getting to that, right? Like, so we don't know what happens when, like, an entity like Sargeras, as powerful as he is... He's a titan. titan. Let's just call him. He's a titan. He's a titan. We don't know what happens to his essence when he decides to extricate himself from what form he's in. And this is a planet filled with one titan tech. This is a planet that was formed by titan technology and magics. We don't know what was in place there. So there could have been, they could have been Gul'dan, could have been the next body. See, uh, here's the thing, though. Any, but it could have here's, been anything else. Here's why I don't think it was anything else. Because it says in the, in the Last Guardian that he is stranded in the nether. He's not free to act. When he goes, when he, when his body gets killed, 
it's sure. a bad thing for him. He's not so I don't see somebody as intelligent as Sargeras making a plan that involved him being stuck. Now, I also don't think Sargeras had anything to do with the design of Azeroth. I'm not I don't know the timeline. We again, I'm going to do a plug for it for, was you know, it was created after. We need that book to come out. Yeah. Um, yes, we do. Chronicle. We really do. Warcraft Chronicle needs to come out so we can basically go, aha! But right now, the, the way I understand it is Azeroth was made after Sargeras fell. And I think Anne is right in her theorizing that, Sar- that Azeroth is made almost as a defense system against Sargeras. But one thing is clear. I don't – he might have picked the, the way he came into the world because there's no Night Elves. But I honestly think it was simply the fact that he found the place where there was somebody who could do it. You know what I mean? Like he needed someone like Aegwynn. And – the Night Elves had completely abandoned arcane magic, except for like a few that were living in like the middle of nowhere. It's not like the people at Eldrathalis were going to do him any good. They were busy like summoning minor demons to, to feed on. I mean, Imolthar is not that important, you know, so they were a dead end. Uh, the guys up in Silvermoon were crazy paranoid about demon summoning. Mm-hmm. He, they were, he wasn't going to get anywhere with them. And the only reason he got anywhere with Aegwyn was because of her sense of duty. Like, think about it. If Aegwyn hadn't been the the workaholic that she was, if she had basically not, you know, heard minor rumors, like his entire plan consisted of tricking Aegwyn into coming north to Let's go punch some blue dragons and hope the yeah. guardian shows up. Yeah, like it's it's one of those plans that only works because Aegwyn was ridiculously dedicated to her job. To the point where she decides to have a child because she doesn't trust the Council of Terrasfall to do the job right. It's not that she she doesn't trust them for a lot of things, but she also doesn't trust them to do the job as well as she can. And she's not wrong, you know? It's Aegwyn's, like, how long was she guardian? Like a thousand years? A very, very, very long time. She used magic to extend her own life yeah. long past where it should have been. So during her, like, thousand-year reign as, as guardian, she took on a lot. Like, she was not idle at all. Um, so... It's it's just I think Sargeras's plan was basically I need someone powerful enough to endure this, someone dedicated enough to like you know do the things I want her to do, and somebody you know contrary enough to like if she had given the power back, his plan would have been for nothing. Sure, but I mean it's it's kind of I, I don't so, know it's like it's playing against the players you know right. Mm-hmm. I mean one of the things we know about the Legion as a whole is they just they gather data too like they're not just mindless. Well, you know, that's the entire reason that this is the entire reason they allow warlocks to exist who aren't like actively sure. doing anything. I mean, and Azeroth has those and has had those like for a long time. Mm-hmm. Every and time every- they attack, any time a demon shows up, that demon isn't just there to wreak havoc. That demon is also Recon. measuring what's going on and reporting back. Well, anyway, we are reaching that time period here where we should probably be wrapping things up. So um, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad's recite experience. And as always, if you have something that you would like us to cover on Lore Watch, you can send an email to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure that you put Lorewatch somewhere in the subject line so that we know it's intended for here and not the other show. Um, and with that, let's go ahead and get some final thoughts. Rossi? Honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to if we talk about the second war because that ties really heavily into what we're about to do in Legion. Um, we can go ahead and touch on that next week. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Okay. And Joe, final thoughts? I'm, I'm with Rossi on that one because things. the first war is one of those things where – it's really weird and complicated and has been retconned a whole lot of times between comics and books and the actual game of Warcraft one. And this and movie that's going to come stuff. out and retcon and, it. And, and then the movie's going to come out and it's going to retcon it again. And there's going to, it's one of those weird things. However, the second and third war have remained almost okay for the entire time they've been out. So I'm looking forward to, to talking about those because there's a little more um, continuity. We'll say. As for that book we were discussing, that's World of Warcraft Chronicle Volume 1. That actually comes out on March 15th, so we don't have that much longer to wait. And honestly, you guys, if you haven't pre-ordered this yet, you should give me your address so I can pre-order it for you because I feel like it's required reading. (laughs) We're going to need to read it before the episode of Lore Watch. There's going to be a a whole lot of sleepless nights going back through that book and writing down notes, let's be honest. (laughs) Taking notes, and we could just like discuss that in depth on an episode of Lore Watch, maybe. 
the week that it comes out, the show will just be. Did you read that? Did you read that? Did you oh hear my god, about we that? Were, we were right. And... Oh god, we were wrong. Oh my god, look at this. Why didn't even think about that? Yeah. So, um, I would definitely recommend if you haven't pre-ordered that book, you should pre-order it. And like I said, Rossi, Joe, if you guys haven't pre-ordered it yet for yourselves, they give me your addresses. <laughs> <laughs> and I will pre-order it for you because we need that. Um, anyway, that's it for uh, this episode of Lore Watch, and we will be back in two weeks' time. We'll probably be talking about the Second War, but who knows? Something else entertaining might come up between now and then. If you have any questions about the wars or about the movie, even, like the lore in the movie versus the lore in the game, you can go ahead and certainly send those our way as well. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody, and we will see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.